This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry, bringing to you the Short Talk Bulletin, published by the Masonic Service Association of North America every month since 1923. This, the Short Talk Bulletin podcast, is produced in cooperation with the MSA and is made possible with the generous support of a grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota. This is Worshipful Brother John Rock, Past Master, Solar Lodge Number 14, Bath, Maine, bringing to you Volume 51, Number 10, October 1973, A Layman Looks at Masonry. This short talk is an address given by Mr. C. Leroy Miller, editor of The Enterprise in Ponchatoula, Louisiana, on July 13, 1971, to the members of Pine Grove Lodge Number 288 in that city. While Mr. Miller has obviously been favorably impressed by Freemasonry, it is especially interesting to note what aspects of our fraternal activities have been primarily responsible for his opinions. We are grateful to Dr. Charles H. Gideon, a past master of Pine Grove Lodge, for calling our attention to this address. It has been my privilege through the 40 years of my experience as a newspaperman, to speak occasionally before various clubs and organizations, including at least one dedication and one anniversary of churches. I have also been a lay speaker twice during the absence of church pastors, but I feel that tonight, to appear before you and before what I think masonry stands for, equals the most honored of all invitations I have received, and most earnestly and sincerely hope that your time and toleration will not be wasted. As a layman, as one who stands in darkness beyond the outer door of your time-honored fraternity, it would seem presumptuous of me to even consider discussing with you any subject concerning masonry. I presume to do so, however, because of a lifelong respect for masons, which started when I was a little boy and helped my grandfather clean up the hall of Number 297 Lodge at Denham Springs. He was a member of that lodge. His name was Cyrus Tucker. It continued when I saw, some years later, a picture of an uncle named Jim Brown hanging on that lodge wall. When I recall that many years ago my brothers, sisters, and I put our strawberry picking money together at Mama's suggestion to buy a Masonic ring for our daddy on his birthday. When later I saw two of my brothers, they were men then, wearing the square and compass, and when it seemed that with equal regularity, my grandfather or uncle would leave their homes at night, and grandma or my aunt would say, they have gone lecturing again. I have another reason. I presume to stand before you, because from boyhood and through my adult years, I have grown to believe, from what little I have learned of the ideals of Masonic Brotherhood, of a reverential fraternity, that masonry embodies those rules for living together that all men should practice. And wouldn't it be a better world if all men did? Although I have not been qualified to know the emblems or the signs and symbols, or to fraternize as a Mason, I do sincerely hope that somewhere in my inner, finer self, I may possess some of the qualities of a Mason. Although sometimes, when I examine some of my actions, 
They seem to be buried deep within me, if I really have them. Laymen, non-Masons, have been curious about Masonry for centuries, and I believe that the vast majority of us, unless restricted by church prohibition or some other cause, would like to be Masons, or to merit Masonry's reward of fellowship, mutual brotherly guidance, and helpfulness in those moral practices acceptable and pleasing to the Supreme Architect, yours and mine, of the universe. Your humanitarian activities are not publicized, but even so, your activities many times become known to the public, and they always represent something good and noble. I'm speaking of such things as the reports of your aid to a Mason or to members of his family when they are in need, or the protective care that we hear you render to your brother in Masonry and to his family. Nearly all of us who are outside your fraternity can cite numerous examples of good works by Masons. Many times they are of isolated assistance to individuals, and frequently they are of your assistance to many. We have heard here in Ponchatoula of the humanitarian work of the Masons of this lodge, and I am sure of other lodges, when the disastrous ravages of Hurricane Camille caused hardship and suffering to Masons and their families in coastal Louisiana and you responded with the things they needed. We know of your support of children's homes. We have heard that the world's first home and hospital for crippled children was inaugurated by Louisiana Masons, perhaps some of your fathers, in Shreveport many years ago. We laymen, too, can cite other activities of Masons that the public knows about, but you probably know them better than we do. Yours, we think, is a great fraternity of good men working together for good purposes under the all-seeing eye of the Almighty. And we hear that you value the quality of a man, not his social or economic status. It is like the well-known ancient statement, Beneath those rough clothes stands a man of honor, whose word is his bond, and one who lives under the guidance of his Maker. We who have not traveled with you do, indeed, know something of you and your practices of the ideals of old, and what we know has created a feeling of profound public trust in the words or actions of Masons. Nearly all of us have heard of George Washington's statement on that terrible night long ago, so crucial in our nation's history, when he said, Let all the guards tonight be Masons. We've heard that if you're a Mason, you can go anywhere, in any land, and if you are in need of assistance or desire fellowship, you can stand in a public place in a certain way or make certain signs, and a brother Mason will come to you and make himself known and will give you assistance or lend fellowship, whichever is needed or desired. We who have not received the light of Masonic teaching have also heard that when a Mason is introduced to a group of strangers and one of them reveals that he is a Mason, there is an immediate feeling of closer acquaintance, of brotherhood toward that one, regardless of the merits of the others, because, in effect, you have traveled with him in the bond of Masonic Brotherhood. Each of you knows that the other is, or at least tries to be, an upright man who is humble before the majesty of God. And, we have heard, this effect can be observed even in foreign countries and between men who speak different languages. We have further heard that you teach certain lessons, that is, you confer degrees on new members. But we've also heard that the real, true, active, and continuing values of Masonry 
are not just in those rituals or lessons. Those values come later in the practicing of a mode of personal conduct and assuming of responsibility when needed, a recognition of and a response to the moral duties of a man, the living of a life which is honorable, upright, without guile, and without pretense. Each of you probably knows of the great curiosity that most of us outside the fraternity have about the secrets of Freemasonry. I feel sure that most of you have, from time to time, been questioned about them. My own experience in this has perhaps been more persistent than the average, but I've been rebuffed by a stone wall of silence on numerous occasions, as some of my closest Mason friends can tell you. To those questions I have asked, I've received some interesting answers. One lifelong friend thought about my question a minute, making up his mind, and then said, Do you know what you remind me of? You remind me of a billy goat. Another Masonic friend once angrily answered me as follows, That's definitely none of your damn business. Several have responded to my curiosity like this, If and when you get curious enough, you can ask for an application, and if you're accepted, you can find out about that legitimately. You shouldn't really allow such questions from us to disturb you, or to anger you, and I say this not as an argument, but because we simply don't know better, that we laymen are not under obligation to refrain from asking questions. It is you who are probably under obligation not to answer them, and I've learned that you don't answer them. So please excuse our ignorance. Perhaps the most widely known part of Masonic activity that we laymen are privileged to see is your Masonic burial service at the graveside of a departed brother whose life has been lived within the circle of Masonic principles and fashioned into a geometric pattern acceptable and pleasing to the Almighty. Most of us have seen you assemble to pay respects to a life that was Masonically shaped as a spiritual temple by the great architect of the universe. The solemnity of your taking positions at the grave and of the opening prayer of your chaplain are strongly comforting to family and friends. Then the beautiful words of your master flow forth with majesty, and we who listen may ponder again what many think is one of literature's ultimate masterpieces. Listen again to some of his words, the solemn notes that betoken the dissolution of this earthly tabernacle have again alarmed our outer door and another spirit has been summoned to the land where our fathers have gone before us. With the announcement of your brother's passing, your master calls attention to your assembly among the inhabitants of the dead, the cemetery, and for you and the bereaved, he speaks of the peace and tranquility of the burial place, where, he says, sleep the unnumbered dead. The music of his words soothe and comfort. The gentle breeze fans their verdant cover, they heed it not. The sunshine and the storm pass over their resting place, and they are not disturbed. Stones and lettered monuments symbolize the affection of surviving friends, yet no sound proceeds from them, save that silent but thrilling admonition. Seek yet the narrow path and the straight gate that lead to eternal life. Having described the loneliness of the narrow house appointed for the living, we are asked to consider the uncertainty of human life, the certainty of death, and the closeness of the cradle and the grave. 
Your master tells us then to consider the unimportance of false pride, wealth, and human vanities when we view nature's paying her just debt, which he says is life stripped of its ornaments when all ranks are leveled. Your master describes the lambskin apron, tells of its history, and of the honor accorded it when worthily worn. Next, we are told of the emblem of the evergreen, and that emblem is the immortality of the soul. By it, we are admonished that the tomb awaits all persons, but through our belief in God, we may confidently hope that our souls will bloom in eternal spring. In words clear and expressive, and I've noted the quietness and unmoving attention always shown by listeners, the ceremony proceeds to tell us of your brother's death, severing another link from the fraternal chain that binds you together, and that you who survive will, because of him, be more strongly cemented in the ties of union and friendship. In the next portion of the service, your master says that, in that more spiritual body which he now weareth, your departed brother may be free to serve God in joyous splendor. The lesson here tells us, in words of infinite beauty, of the universal presence of God, of his existence in every part of nature, including man. To a listener, this is perhaps the most moving of the several portions of the service. It is also an indication to us of the meaning underlying the parts of your rites unknown to us who are laymen. Your sympathy is extended to your brother's family and friends. We can only respectfully and sincerely tender our most affectionate sympathy and commend them with earnest hearts to the Lord's unwasting fullness of mercy whose strength will uphold us evermore. In the final words of this most remarkable ritual, your master addresses himself to your departed brother in final salutation, and we are deeply moved to hear, Quietly may the body sleep in this earthly bed, my brother. Bright and glorious be thy rising from it. Fragrant be the acacia sprig that here shall flourish. May the earliest buds of spring unfold their beauties on this, thy body's resting place. And here may the sweetest of the summer's rose linger latest. Though the cold blasts of autumn may lay them in the dust, and for a time destroy the loveliness of their existence, yet their fading is not final, and in the springtime they shall surely bloom again. So in the bright morning of resurrection thou shalt spring again into newness of life. Until then, dear brother, until then, farewell. How wonderful, how comforting, how promising is this lesson that we non-Masons may hear, may contemplate, may write down to study later, how it inspires all who hear it to resolve to live a better life because it gives us a better conception of the meaning of life and of death. Believe me when I as a layman say to you, your Masonic burial service is a strong influence on the lives of the people in a community, perhaps more influential than you know. I have told you of but a few of the things we laymen think about you. There are probably many more points that could be mentioned. Time is fleeting, however, so I'll package some of them together in six general observations. Masons are respected, honorable men. Masonry stands for serious things, pleasing to God. 
I have never known a Mason knowingly reveal any part of the secret rites or knowingly discuss them with a non-Mason. A Masonic Lodge is a good thing in a community. When a Mason gives his word, you can depend on it. The lessons of Masonry come from the Bible. A popular hymn exclaims, How great thou art, in reference to the deity. From one man to another, from me to you who observe the principles and the ancient ideals I think Masons observe, I say, How great thou art, my brothers. This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry. And this has been the Short Talk Bulletin Podcast, produced in cooperation with the Masonic Service Association of North America for the purpose of providing a common stock of vetted Masonic information to all of the constituent lodges of all of the member jurisdictions and is made possible through a generous grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota, who have been engaging and inspiring good men who believe in a supreme being to live according to the Masonic tenets of Brother.